Corner Fringe Ministries presents an in-depth study on the controversial gift of tongues. Please enjoy the study. Well, we are in, let me clarify, we're in part three of our tongue series. And if you remember, towards the end of last week's message, I posed a frightening question. One that has to be confronted head on. And that question is this. Is there such a thing as a counterfeit form of speaking in tongues? I mean, think about it for a second. There's false prophets. They've existed for thousands of years who go forth prophesying falsely, saying, thus says the Lord, when thus the Lord has not spoken. We have false teachers going out. They're alive and well today and have been so for thousands of years going forward teaching false teachings. Is it even conceivable that there could possibly be a false manifestation of the gift of tongues? This is what we're confronted with. And the reality is, is this. Unfortunately, there is. And I can tell you firsthand by experience, having personally witnessed false manifestations, I've actually seen it with my own eyes. Not just that, you need to understand this, and I'm not making this up. I have had people confide in me, telling me over the years that they have falsely manifested the gift at some point in their life for whatever reason. Maybe they were taught it. Ignorantly going into it, thinking, well, this is clearly the path. These are the spiritual leaders. They're guiding me, and they are in, in ignorance moving forward, and they're being taught the gift of tongues. While others, you know, as I mentioned last week, they caved to peer pressure. All the spiritual ones and the community, which everyone looks up to, are doing it. And therefore, I'm going to do it. And last but not least, maybe it's a situation where you just have somebody that wants to look spiritual. We have them in all communities. They're, they suffer from pride. And they want to be exalted and they want to be looked at by everyone. They want to be admired. And therefore, they fall, in, they fall victim to a false manifestation of the gift of tongues. So given the fact that there is a counterfeit form of tongues, this leads us to a critical question. And that is this. How does one know the authentic, the authentic form of tongues from that which is counterfeit? How do we know? And I want to remind you of something. Do not underestimate our adversary. When he goes out to counterfeit something, he is the father of lies. He is not sloppy. He will do so, and it will look identical to the authentic. Do you understand? Do not make the mistake of underestimating the adversary. His counterfeit is flawless. The only way that you're actually going to be able to spot a true counterfeit is to actually know the authentic intimately. In other words, you need to possess the Holy Spirit because as the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. No one. And therefore, we need to compare spiritual things with spiritual. So we need to have this intimate relationship with Yeshua, possessing the Ruach Kodesh, being immersed in the Word of God, so that when we come up against these false teachings, 
When we come up against false prophecies, which look exactly like true prophecies and true teachings, authentic. And we come up against a counterfeit form of tongues. Well, guess what? We'll know. We will be able to see it. We will be able to see things that no one else sees. If we are cautious and filter everything through Yeshua, if we filter it through his word with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then Yeshua is going to illuminate for us whether or not we are dealing with something that is counterfeit or we are dealing with something authentic. You know, I'm prompted, I didn't put this up here, so I apologize, but I'm prompted to, to, to go to John chapter 10. And in that chapter, Yeshua, he, he, he identifies himself as the great shepherd. He is the shepherd of the sheep. And what he tells us in John chapter 10, he says, when the shepherd speaks, when he speaks, the sheep hear his voice, they follow him. They follow him. But when a stranger speaks, they will not follow the stranger. Why? Because they don't know his voice. Let me break this down to you further. Like when I go outside, I have four kids. One, <laughs> I have four, four daughters, beautiful daughters. One is immobile. But what you, and if your parents should be able to identify with this, if you let them outside, the three, they don't go in the same direction. They go in opposite directions of each other. So for a parent to go up and, and wrangle the kids, I do this. I go outside and I say, girls... It's time to get in the house. You have five seconds. Move. Here's what's fascinating. They don't need to see me. They don't need to see me. Not one of them needs to see me because they know my voice. They know when they hear dad, they know dad intimately. And when he speaks, he comes. But if the guy across the street yells out, kids, time to come in, they're not going. They won't even turn their head. I want you to understand something. This book has been identified as the voice of God. So you need to know the voice of God or you're going to follow strangers. It's going to happen. So having said that, we find the Apostle Paul in his first epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 14, he leaves us with a comprehensive guide and how to deal with the gift of tongues. When it should be used, when it shouldn't be used, why it should be used, why it shouldn't be used. The Apostle Paul, he sets up, as it, as it were, a set of guidelines or parameters around the gift, lest the gift become abused. But before I show you these parameters and these instructions, I want to lay down some important groundwork first. Groundwork which is going to give you a greater appreciation for what Paul is actually teaching in chapter 14. See, when Paul, he, he left these guidelines on how to properly use the gift of tongues, we find that there is something that he does. There's something he does in chapter 14 as he's establishing these guidelines that has to be understood. It's something intentional. It is something deliberate for the purpose of putting into perspective the gift of of tongues. So what is it that the Apostle Paul does in 14 that is going to give this illumination to the gift of tongues, that's going to give us deep insight? It is this. The Apostle Paul, he mirrors the gift of tongues up against the gift of prophecy 
And you're going to see this in chapter 14. Paul is going to go back and forth, back and forth throughout the entire chapter between the gift of tongues and prophecy. It is not a coincidence. Paul deliberately pairs these two special gifts with each other. Why would he do that? Why would Paul pair these two gifts? The answer is simple. The gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, they are related. Think of them as sisters. Sisters. Prophecy and tongues, they have this beautiful and unique relationship. You know, Paul could have used any of the gifts to pair up with tongues. He could have talked, he could have brought healing in. He could have talked about miracles, paired it up with miracles, or faith, or discerning of spirits. But he uses none of those. He uses one explicit gift to address the gift of tongues. It's the gift of prophecy. What I'm about to tell you is the most important element in this entire study. If you get your arms wrapped around this very concept, it's going to unlock all sorts of doors of understanding for you regarding the gift of tongues. This is the most important information I could possibly deliver to you. So what is it that binds these sisters together? It is this. In both cases, it is the Spirit of God who speaks. They are the manifestation of the words of God. It is the voice of God speaking. Now, having been given this information and understanding this unique relationship that exists between the gift of tongues and, and the gift of prophecy, I want to set the stage before we get into chapter 14. I want to set the stage by addressing the gift of prophecy. Because you need to understand some elements regarding the gift. Because what it's going to do is it's going to blossom. It's going to blossom your understanding regarding the gift of tongues. It's going to unlock doors, as I said before. I want to begin by doing this, taking you to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1. We learn, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me. Okay? Did you catch that? Then the Spirit entered Ezekiel. This is a spiritual thing. The Ruach Kodesh had come down upon Ezekiel. When he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. Verse 7. You shall speak my words. Notice he doesn't give, them, give him the liberty to speak his own words. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious, that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, the scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. What just happened here? The Lord presented a scroll to him, unrolled it, and what is on the scroll? The words of the living God. His words. Frightening words. Words of lamentations, mourning, and woe, but they were his words. And this scroll is what he is supposed to eat, eating the words of the living God. Continuing in verse 1, chapter 3. More of he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll. 
and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. You need to understand something. This is how prophecy works. God puts his words into his prophet's mouth. They do not speak of their own accord. They don't speak their own words. They only speak that which the Lord has given them. Let me give you another example of this imagery in the New Testament. The end of the New Testament. John the Revelator, a prophet. Listen to what it says. Then a voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Verse 10. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. See, John didn't do this of his own accord. The words were put in his mouth. And those were the words that he spoke. We go to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Not prophets of flesh, going and talking about what they feel and their emotions of their own heart. It was the Spirit of God in the prophets speaking, going forth speaking the words of God. This is not a product of man. It is a product of the Spirit. It is the voice of God. Second Peter, Peter tells us this very thing. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were moved by the Spirit of God. This is how they spoke. Prophecy doesn't come by the will of man. It's not a product of man's emotions. It's not a product of his feelings. It's a product of the Spirit of God. It wasn't something that they were taught how to do. They didn't go to prophecy school. Their spiritual friends didn't teach them how to do it. They were moved by God himself, and it was the Spirit himself speaking. Now what I find so interesting is this, and you need to understand this. The gift of tongues works in the very same manner. The Spirit of God falls upon you. What happens? It gives you the ability to do something that you didn't have the power or ability to do without the Spirit of God. The Spirit moves you and speaks through you just as he does in the case of prophecy. Which is why Paul, as you're going to see, pairs these two gifts up in chapter 14. They are the voice of God. Let me take you back to Acts chapter 2 account. I want to show you something. Something that is recorded, something that is said, that is critical to this study that I want to point out to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we read, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire. And what did we learn about these divided tongues of fire? It is the voice of God, right? These were the voice, when they split up and sparked, and we looked at the rabbinical traditions on this, voices. And every man heard in their own language. So here we have these tongues of fire coming down. And we're in uh, verse 3. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were speaking, but was it them? It was not them. It was the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of God gave the apostles the utterance. In the exact same way that the prophets are given the ability to prophesy, to speak the word of God, we find that these men who spoke in tongues, they did so only when the Spirit of God moved them. In other words, it was the Spirit of God who moved them to speak. It was the Spirit of God speaking. This was literally the voice of God. It's not the work of man, not the product of his desires and emotions. This is not the product of some other man sitting before another man trying to teach him how to speak in tongues, asking him to repeat some babbling gibberish nonsense. You need to understand that if and when you are given the gift of tongues, it will not be you speaking. It won't be a product of your will. It's a supernatural move of God. This is the most important piece to this entire study. It's the most important concept to understand regarding the nature, the very nature of the gift of tongues. It is the Spirit of God who causes you to speak for Him. It's His voice. Let me ask you a question. What do you think happens to those who move according to their own will? What do you think happens to those who manifest the gift of tongues of their own accord according to the dictates of their own heart? Well, to answer that, I want to take a look at the counterfeit form of prophecy, the very gift that Paul pairs up with the gift of tongues. Going to Jeremiah chapter 5, listen to this description of those who take it upon themselves to speak in the name of God, saying, Thus says the Lord... But in all reality, they have spoken from the dictates of their own heart. Look at what is said here. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The very first thing we learn here is that there is a great abomination taking place in the land of Israel. Astonishing, marveling, something to marvel at. And it is horrible. Verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely. In other words, the prophets are going out saying, hey, guys, the Lord has said so-and-so, A, B, C, X, Y, Z. They're going forth. They're speaking of their own accord, of their own emotions. And not just that. We continue. And the priests rule by their own power. In other words, you had the Kohanim going out and doing what? Giving halakha, telling the people of Israel, the way that they should walk according to what they have devised in their own heart, according to what they thought was right and what they thought was wrong. They were ruling by their own power. Here's the worst part of all of this. 
and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? What a terrifying reality. If it happened in the days of Jeremiah, could it happen today? Could we be living in days where people would embrace a counterfeit form of prophecy, a counterfeit form of teaching, a counterfeit form of tongues? Well, if you believe we're living in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, you know the answer to that question. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel has to say. Chapter 13, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy. And say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord, just as the false prophets prophesy out of their own heart. And say, hear the word of the Lord, even so it is with false tongues. When they speak, they're in the very same manner saying, hear the word of the Lord. It's the voice of the Lord. Continuing in Ezekiel, we read in uh, verse 3, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, and they have seen nothing. And it is the same way with those who falsely manifest some concocted, gibbering nonsense. They speak even though the Spirit has not spoken. The Spirit of God has not moved them, and yet they have moved. Verse 4. Oh, Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. What does it appear they're doing? Building up the church. It appears they're building up Israel. They have envisioned futility, false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. In a similar manner, you can only imagine when someone is moved by his own heart and falsely speaks in tongues, they're concocted gibberish, that they just wait like the false prophets before them. They wait, they just hope that someone else in the community, in the congregation, is going to confirm their concocted nonsense by giving a beautiful interpretation. Oh, how right the prophet Jeremiah was. An astonishing and horrible thing is being committed in the land. The Lord gives us this warning concerning false manifestations, Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They bring you down to nothing. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of their own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Jumping ahead to verse 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets. This is frightening. What just happened? The Lord just came against them. He is standing against them. Says the Lord, who steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. When someone takes it upon their lips 
to falsely manifest the gift of tongues, when they move according to the dictates of their own heart, they now step into a very dangerous realm, saying, thus says the Lord. And guess what's going to happen? The Lord will stand against you. You just made Yeshua your enemy. When someone impersonates the Holy Spirit, falsely manifesting the power of the Spirit, you need to understand and appreciate it What's really happening? They're playing God. They're speaking for Him. It is certainly one thing for man to move when he's been moved by God, but it's another thing for you to move of your own accord. What do you suppose the penalty for impersonating the Spirit of God, for impersonating God is? What do you suppose the penalty is? It is death. Deuteronomy 18.20 But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. What you need to appreciate and understand is this. You're going to be held accountable for every single word that you speak that comes out of your mouth. You read Matthew 12. That is a terrifying thought. Do not say, thus says the Lord, unless the Lord has thus said. Do not attempt to speak in tongues of your own accord, because you will be held accountable. Just as the Spirit of God had come down upon the prophets of God, and they spoke the words of God, even so, in the very same fashion, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you're not going to question whether or not you have the gift of tongues, because the Spirit of God himself is going to move you to do things that you could not do of your own accord. Gives you that beautiful spiritual ability. So with that warning, and with that understanding, looking, and we're going to go to chapter 14, and you're going to see how Paul mirrors, he parallels the gift of tongues against the gift of prophecy. Let's begin in verse 1. We read, Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. We see here Paul right off the bat. What's he do? He gives the gift of prophecy a superior status. This is the gift that we are to desire. Now this is fascinating to me, given my background growing up in a Pentecostal church, where all the emphasis, the spotlight, was on one gift, but it wasn't prophecy. It's the gift of tongues. To the point where people in the community wouldn't let you on the stage to participate in worship if you didn't speak in tongues. To the point that people were denied memberships in their community unless they spoke in tongues. Fascinating. I wonder how big these communities would be if they took those same rules and guidelines and said, no one can be a member unless you prophesy. How big do you think they would be? Let's continue, verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Now pay close attention because we're going to learn so much about tongues. He does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, not in the flesh, not a product of my heart, in the spirit, this is a move of the spirit of God, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification. 
and exhortation and comfort to men. So Paul tells us why we're to desire prophecy over that of speaking in tongues. He tells us that when someone actually prophesies, this is authentically, that person is doing what? Edifying the church. Whereas in contrast, verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. This is why Paul places all the emphasis upon this gift of prophecy. The word used here in the Greek for, for edifies is oikotomeo. Oikotomeo. The root of that is oikos. That means house. In other words, what Paul is saying is that when you manifest, when the gift of manifest, not you, when the Spirit manifests the gift of prophecy through you, it's a very special time because what happens? The church literally increases and strengthens. The body of Messiah is strengthened. It is built up, edifies. We continue in verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless, pay attention, indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Interesting. What is the focus here? I don't know if you picked up on it yet. What is Paul's focus? And you're going to see this focus continue throughout the entire chapter. Edification of the church. The building of the church. This is Paul's primary goal. And you need to understand this needs to be your primary goal. We're living in very dark days where the people that are coming to their communities now they're not looking to do anything but to take. All you do is come to take, take, take. We're supposed to come with the mindset to give. It's fascinating. You wonder why the churches are in the state that they're in because people are there to take. They didn't come with the mindset to give. Like what Paul talks about here, what prophecy does. It's edification. This goes right along with that. If I'm coming to the community to give, I'm already the mindset, all I'm concerned about is building you up. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. All of these are gifts. He just went through a list of gifts. But notice, what does he say? What's the point? What is the profit to you? You're not going to be edified if I come to you in tongues. He needs to come to them by revelation. He needs to come to them by knowledge. He needs to come to them prophesying and teaching. All these gifts, that they will build up the church. Verse 7. Even things, now I, I, I want to go back here for a second and just point this out because I want you to pick up on these things. Get to know Paul. If you remember last week, I pointed something out in chapter 12 that Paul did. Remember, he went through that list of discussing what the gifts are. To one's healings, to the other discerning the spirits, to another miracles, and so on and so forth. It's just a plain, straight at you teaching. But then what did he do? He took that teaching, he mirrored the same thing, he taught the exact same thing, but he brought it into the metaphorical realm. He now brought it into an analogy. What does that do? It brings it down to the a lower level for all of us to understand. Just in case you, you're going to miss something that he's trying to tell you that you didn't understand, he's not going to allow it. 
So he's going to bring this down to a lower level to make sure we can all identify with exactly what he's saying. So he goes metaphorical. Listen to what he said. Now, he just told us that there's no prophet coming to the church in tongues, but in these other gifts. Now, listen to what he says. He brings us into the metaphorical realm. Verse 7. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or what is played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? You know, Paul using this imagery here would have made a lot of sense to the, to the believers at Corinth. Because think about this, for thousands of years, battalions, soldiers, and armies were moved by the sound of trumpets. They would make a distinct sound, and the armies would gather, battalions would gather, and they would separate. They would advance, they would retreat, all by the sounds of trumpets. You read Numbers chapter 10, it's the same thing for Israel. We had the two silver to the command to make two silver trumpets. You blow them once, the leaders of Israel come. You blow them twice, they knew, oh, that's a call for all the community to come. We're to all present ourselves before the Lord. They would sound these trumpets before they went into battle. Could you imagine if here's you're an army, you're on the brink of war, all of a sudden someone starts, you have no idea what is going on. You look to the guy next to you and go, what was that? We're on the brink of war here, and I don't understand what he just tooted over here. And then we got another guy tooting over here, something else. I am totally confused. And you would have the entire army looking at each other, ready to receive destruction. Do you understand? We continue in verse 9. So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. Again, that's tongues. And none of them is without significance. I want you to pay attention here. He just said, listen, we got a ton of languages in the world. All of them are significant. This is what he just said. Verse 11, Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. In other words, if you don't speak Mandarin, and you go over to China, and he doesn't speak English, it's not going to be a very fruitful conversation. Nothing is going to get done. We continue in verse 12. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts. Now, Paul notes something here. They're zealous for spiritual gifts. Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Again, what is the focus? Edification of the church. Our desire, first and foremost, should always be the edification of the church. Man, you, you have no idea how many crooked paths would be straightened with that mindset. When the, when the congregants enter the church, we're going to the church to think, what can I give today? How can I build up my brother or sister today? Not with the mentality of what can I take it's all about the edification. Now, you're going to see here as we continue that Paul, he's going to go on to advise them how to proceed. Listen to what he says here in verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. 
This is a very important component of, of understanding tongues and the manifestation of such for you and understanding the parameters. Paul suggests that if you've truly been given the gift of tongues, it's authentic. You should be praying for complete understanding so that you understand what is spoken. Where he goes on in verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul wants you to have understanding of what you're actually saying so that there's fruit. You receive something from it. And understand, this would, this would go for whether in private, whether you're in your prayer closet, or a public setting. He's asking you to have the understanding. You need to desire it. You need to pray for it. If, in fact, you've been given the gift of tongues and you don't have it. Now listen to what he says. We go on in verse 15. What is the conclusion then? Again, typical Pauline fashion. He's going to make sense of the, the statement he just made. He's going to make sense out of it. He goes on. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So when Paul speaks in tongues, private, public, he is going to do so with understanding. When he goes into his prayer closet, he is going to pray in the Spirit, and he is going to pray with understanding. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? Verse 17. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. All about edification. If you speak in a, in a, in a tongue and no one understands you, no one understands what you're saying, it's not going to edify the body. They have no idea what you're talking about. How do they say amen? Verse 18. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. The first thing to point out here is Paul had the gift of tongues. There's no question. So going back to week one, even week two, is the gift of tongues authentic? Is it a real? Is it something real? Absolutely. It's a move of the Spirit. No question. And Paul tells us he speaks in tongues more than any of these believers in Corinth. Yet, you guys ready? Yet, in the church, ecclesia in the Greek, do you know what this means? Gathering of believers. It could be a Bible study, it could be a prayer group, it could be Shabbat service, it could be Sunday morning service. In the church, he's going to start laying down parameters of what is supposed to happen in this place. I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's pretty drastic. He's making a point here. And, and, and the point is so drastic, he doesn't want you to miss it. Five words in understanding than 10,000 in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Again, I want to point out, even the Old Testament told us tongues was a gift that was coming, that was going to be manifest among the children of Israel and the world. Verse 22, therefore, again, critical component to learn here, 
Tongues are for a sign. What are they for? They're for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. It's interesting. Pairing them up, mirroring them. We're talking about prophecy and tongues. Tongues speaks to one group. It's the voice of the living God. Prophecy speaks to another group, to the church. You maybe understand why Paul stated he would rather speak five words of understanding in the church than 10,000 in a tongue. Tongues are for unbelievers. Prophecy is for believers. Now as we continue, Paul is going to tell us why tongues is not for believers, but rather unbelievers. Verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church, ecclesia, this is our gathering, we come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say, you're all out of your mind? Paul tells us that in the church setting where believers are drawn together, he tells us that if those believers all start speaking in tongues, then if there are any believers who are present or come in, they're going to think you're completely nuts. They think you're crazy. You're not too far from those people who are 60 miles out of town on a compound sipping Kool-Aid waiting for the mothership to come. <laughs> crazy. Let me share with you a story. I want to share with you a story that actually happened to me. This was a friend of mine. It applies to exactly what was just said. You know, one of the things that my dad, and he still is today, my dad has an evangelist's heart. If he's the guy, he's going to go out bringing the milk of the word. This is, what, this is where he's at. He's always had an evangelist's heart, and he always taught me to have that heart. Now, I had a lot of different friends in a lot of different circles when I was younger because I was in sports, I was in church activities, I was in school activities, so I had all these different realms of friends. With my unbelieving friends, my dad encouraged me, he said, listen, you got to get these guys in church. You, these guys need to get church, they need salvation, your friends are going to go to hell. And my dad, I mean, this was in my dad's heart, and he instilled this into me, and so I'm like, okay, I'll invite one of my unbelieving friends. And didn't have anything, his dad had nothing to do with God, he could care less about God. No interest in it at, what, at all. He knew I was a believer, he knew I was really involved in church. So I, I listen to my dad. I bring this guy to a service. I bring this guy to a service. Unfortunately, this was one of those weeks, and you, if you come from the Pentecostal background or spirit-filled, you know what I'm talking about. This was one of the weeks that, oh no, the entire community erupted in tongues. And here we are, six, 700 people strong. And you can only imagine. Here I'm bringing him to receive salvation. I'm bringing him. Unbeliever in the setting of believers he looked at me, he goes, what is going on? He was frightened. What is happening here? He goes, what are they saying? And the next thing that came out of his mouth, just, I knew it was over. He said, I knew it. I knew you guys were crazy. I knew it. I had all these preconceived notions. And now here's living proof. You're all nuts. He goes, you don't know what they're saying. I go, I don't know what they're saying. And I said, neither do they. which did not help things, because neither do they. And then he goes, 
why are, what is going on here? I, and I tried to explain, well, this is a spirit language. You know, he goes, what's the point if none of you understand it? And I don't understand it to this day. He has not graced church. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. I'm a living example. I've seen this in action. There's a great path of destruction that takes place when tongues is abused, when it is falsely manifested. Continue in verse 24. But if all prophesy, we're in the church setting, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, each of you has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. Paul is saying, oh, puke, you self-righteous people, you sicken me. We know these type of people exist today, and I know you know what I'm talking about right now. It's disgusting. You got any questions, you say, oh, Daniel, oh, that was a pretty liberal understanding, interpretation of what Paul just said. No, it's not. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And you'll see right off the bat, Paul is agitated with them because they fell into the trap of glorifying themselves. I am with Paul. The other says, I am Apollos. Immediately the church starts dividing. It's all about self-exaltation. Paul says, was I crucified for you? This is what he's dealing with in Corinth. And remember what we read at the end of, uh, of chapter 12. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. We continue. And all what you're going to see here is Paul, he's going to go on to lay out some regulations. He's going to lay out some restrictions regarding the use of tongues. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three uh, or or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Paul tells us here that if there are those within the body that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, then these individuals should be very careful in the manifestation of such, only speaking when appropriate. In other words, you wouldn't have two people speaking in tongues at a time, but rather, just as Paul says here, each in turn. You know, when the gift is truly manifested, it has to be done so. If it's of God, and the person shares wisdom, the wisdom of God, it has to be done in an orderly manner. One person at a time. And frankly, you need to understand, this doesn't just apply to the gift of tongues. This would apply just to prayer in our own native language, whatever country you're from. And when we get together in a prayer group, whether two, three, four, five, or six, when one person is praying, the rest of you, nothing should be coming out of your mouth. How are you going to know what the person is praying if you're over there mumbling to yourself? Whether you're, whether you're falsely manifesting the gift of tongues or whether you're just speaking in English, there's an order to things. When you pray, keep silent. Listen to what he's praying so that you can either confirm or reject what is spoken. It's to be done in order. If you've ever spent time with us down in our prayer group before our Shabbat service, we have an order. 
Even the people know what order to follow. When someone is praying, you keep silent. English tongues doesn't matter. The bottom line is this. If, in fact, the gift of tongues is prevalent in, in a community, then you need to understand that it is to be done decently and in order. Now, notice what Paul says here. I'm going to draw your attention to the very end of the verse. Let one interpret. So not only is there to be one manifestation at a time, but we're told that there is to be an interpretation. This manifestation is not to take place without explanation. Well, what do we do if there isn't someone present who understands, who can interpret? Paul tells us. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. No interpreter, nothing should be coming out. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. What are we? We're bouncing. We're mere prophecy and tongues. They're sisters. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. One thing I want you to understand right now is that when you go to manifest the words of the living God, whether through prophecy or tongues, because that's what it is, they are the words of God, the Spirit of God has moved you to speak, you better know the rest, the elders, and those who are pillars in this community will be stepping back and analyzing everything. We are obligated to. We are to judge. Paul says, others are to judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Now this is in regards to prophecy. Even with prophecy, there must be order. There is order in the camp. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So when we were talking about uh, the others stepping back and judging, make no mistake. If you come out and you come out and say, the Spirit of God, thus says the Lord, the spirits of those prophets are subject to the prophets. We'll be cross-examining it. I promise you. But to the, to the very letter, people cannot speak and think that what they're going to speak, whether or not it is confirmed in the word, because they say, thus does the Lord, we all check our brains at the door and say, oh, the Lord has spoken. doesn't work that way. You need to be equipped. We all need to be equipped because there's too much deception in the camps today. Do not think that when you speak on the Lord's behalf, it will not come under judgment. John told us the very same thing. I did put this in here. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We are commanded to test the spirits. John knows the deception. The apostle Paul knows the deception. He says, I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in and they will not spare the flock. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Test all things, hold fast to what is good. And he concludes in the chapter in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, the last verse, he says this, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Interesting way to end this. 
Paul, he wants to make sure that after going through these guidelines and restrictions on tongues that almost seem to tie a noose around it, which he does to keep things in order, to keep things from people being deceived, but he also says, do not forbid it. We have great example of this. If you go to Numbers 11, what happened? Spirit of God came down upon the 70 elders. They were anointed by God. They were to be judges. They were anointed by God. And here, a young man comes running to Joshua saying, whoa, 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 Eldad and Medad, they're prophesying in the camp. Joshua turns to Moshe, to Moses, and says, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Here the Spirit of God had come down upon them, and they're prophesying in the camp, and Joshua says, my Lord, Moses, forbid them. And Moses responds to him, are you zealous for my sake? All that all the Lord's people were prophets. In other words, we do not quench the Spirit. If in fact, if... Okay. Um, give me a second here. All right. I forgot what I was saying. Forgive me. But, oh, Eldad and Medad. So when the Spirit, the spirit of God is poured out, we are not to quench... The Spirit. It's going back, this is what I was trying to do to begin with. Going back to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. If you read 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it actually tells you, don't quench the Spirit. Verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies. Okay? But, then 21 says, test all things. I didn't put it up here for you, so I apologize about that. We don't forbid the Spirit. I want you to think of tongues this way. I, 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 broke, I broke down three simple steps in just analyzing tongues and the way it's to be utilized. Number one. Ah, okay. Don't forbid. First thing you need to understand, don't forbid. Also with that, understand the, 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 the um, rules and regulations that go with it. But do not forbid it. The second thing that you need to understand about tongues, don't you dare fabricate. Because you fall, you, the Lord himself will come against you because you're taking it upon yourself to speak the words of God when he is thus not spoken. Thirdly, don't breach the framework. This framework that we read about in 1 Corinthians 14, don't breach it. If it happens, there's red flags pointing everywhere. I'm going to end on this. I'm going to give you seven key concepts that were important in this study that you need to really have a good grasp on to understand the gift of tongues. Number one, tongues is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not a product of your will, your passions, and your emotions. And understand this, it's the voice of God. You understand that, the rest just kind of fall in order. Secondly, not everyone has the gift. This is made clear. Read Paul's narrative on this. We covered it. Verse uh, third, tongues are for a sign. You need to understand, it's not for believers. It is for unbelievers. Do we have an example of this anywhere in Scripture? Acts 2, Right? The unbelievers from every nation under heaven, you have Jews from the diaspora, there 
They're hearing tongues, and that tongues, that manifestation where they're like, how is this possible? What did that do? It created the platform to allow Peter to come in, and what did he do? He shared the gospel in the common tongue. And that day, 3,000 men were added. Great fruit was born. Number four, when in the church synagogue, it's better to speak five words of understanding than 10,000 in a tongue because we are to be thinking edification. We are to build up the church. The fifth component, if there is no interpreter, there should be no tongues without an interpretation. Number six, if you speak, uh, if, pray with, for understanding. If you're given the gift of tongues and you're by yourself, you're in your closet and you truly have the gift, Paul tells you very clearly you better be praying for understanding just as he does. He prays in the Spirit and he, and he, and he receives with understanding. And the last thing is, and the music team can come up, desire the better gifts. Over and over we're told this. Desire the gifts, the better gifts, such as prophecy. So with that said, Shabbat Shalom.